first believe you have a value to give. It's not about that agreement. I love that. It's not about that document. A lot of pharmacists are still unsure that they are valuable because especially in the community setting, we've left, we've let the profession divide pharmacists to say who's cool and who's not, or you're clinical, you're not. So I'm learning that there are a lot of pharmacists say, well, but I'm not clinical. And I said, how did you get through pharmacy school <laughs> without any clinical content? It's impossible. And they go, well, you have a point. I said, who made you believe that? You know, that is the fundamental, uh, that's a problem. Right. Because you, no one just told you, here is Tylenol, without you knowing clinically who can get it, who cannot get it, what are the dosing. So why did we take that out of, like, like it's not? So that's the number one, that pharmacists have to rebuild their knowledge, but also remind themselves they are clinical. Our settings could be different. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, if I, my setting is community, so I have different access points, I have advantages and I have disadvantages. The pharmacists in the hospital could say they're clinical, but they have advantages and disadvantages. They don't know where these patients live. They don't see them after the patient leaves the hospital. They don't know that what else is happening. So we need all of us together to manage the patient. So if we can start working on before collaborating with another profession, we need to collaborate within the pharmacy space, right? If I'm a pharmacist in the hospital setting, I should know who my community partners are and lean on them to help me with the patients, right? So that's number one that I feel like we need to get our pharmacists believing in themselves again rewiring that lie that they, the story they told themselves is mm -hmm. not true. They are clinical. They are very valuable. They just have to know what is their value. Then take that value, package it. People don't buy products. These providers are looking for solutions. So then you need to understand their world, right? Yep. You have to understand their world because you can't sell the same solution to everyone. So if that provider doesn't have that problem, you just lost them because you didn't take the time to know more about them. Right. Right. So I listen more than I talk to these providers. When I go in, I want to hear their pain points because I know they have them, you know? And so then they'll get to that, oh, the patients with diabetes. I'm getting dinged on those patients because I'm part of this clinically integrated network and I have to perform at this level. And I'm not winning with this patient subset or uh, hospitalizations, you know, whatever it is they need, you can then figure out what services you offer that can solve that. I, I love that you're almost offended when you hear, when you hear I'm not clinical. I, I love it. Like, almost like your reaction yeah. is like, no, absolutely not. You are, um, well, you know, and even to a degree that happens starting out in pharmacy school, like you have pharmacy school saying, all right, well, 75% of you are going to go practice in the, the community. Meh. We're going to talk about residencies. Mm. We're going to talk about hospital. We're going to talk about, and even in the hospital, you have your basement pharmacist and your floor clinical. It's like this natural hierarchies of things that it's weird. And, you know, even like I came out of the renal specialty background, it didn't mean I had any more training. It means I deal with the same 10 drugs over and over again, and I see right. them all the time. And so it's, yes. it's really smart to say, you know, you're right. I have a PharmD just like every other pharmacist on the planet. Yeah. We just have to say where our setting is mm -hmm. and what we can do with that setting. We see it sometimes with startups, um, you know, because we probably see I don't know, roughly probably three to 400 of those a year, you know, and, and, and some of a lot of that time as a pioneer owner, like yourself, maybe starting another pharmacy, but a lot of those are just like from scratch startups. And so, and what we've seen is that's kind of an area of focus where they're like, maybe I can offer this to be like you said, relevant, different, a niche or whatever. So I don't know what, do you have any pearls there for like, Hey, what's it take to start up a, a niche and get that niche to even break even? Um, there. That's a great question. 
Um, you know, I think you got to really figure out um, what you're passionate about. Right. Okay. Because you're going to have to work really deeply about it. And you've got to, a lot of times you got to introduce that, you know, to your customer base. Um, and if you don't have a customer base, how are you going to get the customer base? Um, and because people are going to feed off, you know, what you're passionate about. And so, you know, how you, you know, talk to people, like if you're, if you want to do these, you know, billable consultations, you know, then, well, that's going to be a foreign concept to people yeah. because pharmacists are always free. So <laughs> which we've got to get patients how, to learn how that are you that's build true. that up. Yeah. Yep. You know, to, to deliver on that perceived value and, you know, uh, I, I think the, the hard part that we have is, you know, as a profession is unfortunately, probably my colleagues won't like me saying it, but we've cheapened ourselves, you know, over the years where people, they, they love us, right. They don't necessarily see the value. Um, and so how do we turn the tables on that? And were you able to, to really shine, you know, with your, your clinical skill set and, how do you want to apply that? Either do you want to do nutrition counseling, right? And build a nutrition practice around that. You know, I'm looking at your area um, and see like who's doing what, right? You know, and that's you know, like out out here, it's you know, you know, of course, you know, we're one of the first states to legalize you know marijuana, and so it that's was true. like, well, is the pot shop going to be the expert in CBD? You know the hip person, <laughs> yeah. or you know <laughs> right. the guy Probably who's not. Got, you know doesn't know diddly squat. Probably tell you, you what know, the ride's the... like. I mean, I was <laughs> going to say that's to right. be fair, you know? he's probably got the most experience but... with it. <laughs> yep. Right. But I think looking at you know the community said, okay, where can I really you know step it up and be the expert, and so the people kind of know us as start to know you for something, right? You know. So whatever that is. Do you find that it's easier to get patients to translate that value from somebody who's already like, you know, traditionally compounded drugs are more expensive or less covered by insurance. You've got a group of people who are like, all right, 50 bucks. I, I don't like it, but I'll pay it. And then you're like, all right, well, we have a nutrition service and it's whatever. Are those people more apt to embrace the, the fee for your service as opposed to somebody who pays a $3 copay? I think it depends on, um, you know, what they're interested in, you know, as a consumer, you know, like we all have our things like the, the person that I would least expect to want to invest in, you know, nutritional supplements, you know, sometimes it appears like you think it's the, the person who's, you know, very tight with their money. Right. But yet they believe in that. So they want to deep dive into it uh, versus other people, you know, they may not be as invested, but certainly I think that the patients that are paying for customized medicine, like they want it tailored to them. Well, they're a natural, you know, invested in their own healthcare and they're not depending upon traditional medicine to dictate what they get. So they are naturally going to, going to pay more and they want that. They want that customized. They want to feel good about, you know, how they're spending their money. Um, so that's a, that's a great customer. Uh, but I wouldn't discount the people that are paying a $3 copay and upset because it went from a dollar to $3. Because some of that is just, they, they want their insurance companies to pay and they expect them to pay. And it's not necessarily that they can't afford it. It's more of a psychological component. Right. Well, I mean, I'm probably the the perfect example, and this is going to be embarrassing to admit, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I want to hear it. Like, I'll happily spend $50 on a bottle of bourbon and not even think about it because <laughs> I see the value in the craft. And a couple of years ago, I went to the doctor and like my vitamin D levels were like zero because my wife pesters me about putting sunscreen on when I go out and all that stuff. Don't blame it on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can push that over a little bit. But so it's like, not just so fault. when when I went to the store to get vitamin D, what like what did I do? 
bought. I, I bought the bought absolute the cheapest, cheapest vitamin D possible. Piece right, of garbage on the shelf at some place. Right, but yeah. I yep. will not buy a whiskey in a plastic bottle. <laughs> right, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Everyone's a snot because you're right. a, a bougie lush. Right. Yep. So I mean, it's true. Like, if you value it, you'll yeah. spend the money on it. It's That's just, true. How do you find the people that'll value it? Yeah, yeah, and attract those. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I kind of always tell everybody, like, it's, it's probably a bad way of putting it, but everybody's a snob about something. You know, mm-hmm. like it could be a car, it could be tools, it can be whatever. And, and I say snob like a I bad like that connotation. Was a jab. <laughs> but it, could, you know, it really could be. It could be gloves, whatever it is. But you know, you have, and, and it's building probably that that type of pharmacy and messaging and delivery of of said uh, service to to attract the folks that you're trying to. Yeah, attract. and I think that looking at uh, the the healthcare providers in your area, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not spending two minutes of my time going to, you know, the large family practice clinic that's churning out hundreds of patients a day. I mean, but they're giving people individual attention is just not their business model, you know? And so you, you got to be wise where you spend your time and looking for and. It used to be like, hey, the independent practitioners, because they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to build their own and, businesses. And they're like you, right? You know, like, yep, yep the kind of thing. And, and, and they're like that. But like independent pharmacies, independent physicians are dwindling. Yes. Probably at a probably yeah. at a faster rate, right? Like, right. Um, it's yep. getting harder for them. And then they've had to learn to scale themselves with either nurse practitioners or PAs or whatever to, to like, I, I think I've had three minutes of FaceTime with a doctor in the past 24 months. You know well, what I mean? I so. Think, okay. So just to kind of go back to y'all talking about, you know, value and Mark saying people are a snob about things. I think being a snob about some of the products you guys are interested in, you research a lot in the bourbon and the process and all that stuff. But the problem That's with That's the nicest patient- way anybody's ever said I drink a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you drink a lot. <laughs> you, do, you drink a lot. Um, but I mean, with, with patients, they're not researching their prescriptions. They're only researching um, the side effects. And so how are you working? I mean, give me one of your patient success stories. What is the... How are you convincing the patient the value of this and going, no, 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 you need this supplement to counter with this medication? The value of what we do is is learning how to listen and engage people and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And and that's the big benefit that I have that some of like the chain pharmacists don't have. You know, but listening to people and, and talking to them about what's going on, because a lot of times they'll start sharing information with you. And then when they realize, oh, I have time with you, now I can really talk to you and, and ask questions that I forgot I had. And so when you look at what's available to us, we should become the wellness centers for our patients and they will pay you for it. And I know I hear this all the time. You don't understand. My patients won't pay. They won't pay the $2 copay. They, uh, they're not going to spend any money uh, on their health. Well, the deal is they will. And I know they will because they do it with me. And so uh, now let's, let's look at it a little differently. If you have 3,000 active patients in your Pioneer system today, and I consider an active patient that somebody has bought a prescription in the last probably 120 days. And you asked 100% of those 3,000 patients, would they like to become their healthiest? And you want to help them optimize their health through these mechanisms that we do. Could be with some testing. It could be with just a top six or so supplements that people need. You can start wherever you want. And those six people spend an average of $300 a month, and they will. That is a $1,080,000 a year at 50% profit. How does that look for your pharmacy? In the scenario I just gave you, you asked 3,000 people, and you got 90% no's, only 10% yeses. So you can't be afraid of getting the no. 
And your goal should be to give that patient a customer experience. Customer service means I smiled at you and said, thank you for your business. Customer experiences, when they leave, they don't remember what you said or did. They remember how you made them feel. And if you're there helping that person become their healthiest, they're optimizing their health, and you're fixing their gut, you're getting their you know, vitamin D, just vitamin D alone. If you get a woman's vitamin D level to be maintained above 50, which is not optimized, by the way, it's just above 50, they have a 50% less chance of having breast cancer. I mean, this time of year, every pharmacist should be selling vitamin D. A rule of thumb is 45 international units per pound and give it with vitamin K2. I mean, easy peasy. Vitamin D3 is 85% more absorbable. So it's a really easy way for pharmacists to increase their sales and help your patients, which is your job. And I think after you know this information, it's really malpractice not to. Yeah. So every single patient that walks in the door is spending their money on things that align with their value system. So whether they're, they're, Core values, you know, are triggered by, um, you know, things that, you know, going out to nice restaurants or if they're, you know, a collector of something or whatever their value system is, uh, they're spending money. So how do you how do you get that patient on board with understanding that, you know, how, how do you bring their health into that ring of uh, of their core values enough to tap into uh, their financial pie? Great question. And um, and so you have to remember as a pharmacist, your job is to help your patients optimize your health. Your job is not to fill prescriptions. That just happens to be part of it. So you should be able to fill prescriptions, do testing, do uh, supplements, uh, you know, explain to them, you know, the importance of exercise. So you have this whole range of things that you can do for your patients. And these people are willing to spend the money to do that. Now, not all of them are, but enough of them that is, there's bazillions out there. And you have to remember, people spend money on what they want to, not what they have to. If I go to the doctor and they say, you got high blood pressure, you got diabetes, here's your pill. Well, that's a have to. I didn't want to hear I was sick. I don't want to pay for it. My insurance should do it. But if they want to buy organic and spend three times as much for it, they do it. I have patients that benefit so much from CBD for like neuropathies or something or Parkinsonism that they're willing to spend the money and they're on Medicaid. They give something else up to do it. And uh, and so people will do it when they have the need to. And I believe, and, and this is crucial for me and how I operate. When you come in and we, and you get in our system, we want to, Test, treat, test. So test, therapy, test. Therefore, I can prove to you the time, money, and effort you spent, you're healthier. And that's the cornerstone of everything we do. So if I'm not getting success for you, you shouldn't be paying me. All right, so I, I see this big foundation dropping. Bam, this video, MedSync, right? What's next? All right, so I got the MedSync thing going. What's the next thing? So immunizations, you know, obviously very um, involved with that have been since, um, you know, we started immunizing in Virginia, really, back in 1997. Um, so I remember when my dad ordered his first vial of flu vaccine, like literally we ordered like five vials for a season, which cracks me up. You know, I mean, I could do five vials in 20 minutes Wow. Now. Um, but that was back when we were first starting. And so um, really, really growing that because we know that is a lucrative business. We know there are, that adult immunization rates are down um, even before the pandemic. And so it's important to, you know, when you've got those patients there, can you maximize their health and wellness? So mm -hmm. um, that's a big part of what we focus on too is health and wellness. So obviously immunizations fall into that. So okay. I think that's um, a good next step. All right, immunizations. What's next? Um, disease state management. So your sync patients, um, can you, are, is there a way for you to um, divvy them up and how can you help them and what services can you offer 
um, you know, maybe com- maybe some complimentary services um, that bring them in the door and then kind of build on those. Um, so we do clinical um, initiatives like blood pressure, osteoporosis, cholesterol, um, and diabetes screenings um, that are part of our program. And then when we get them in the door, when we get them thinking about chronic disease a little differently than other um then other things we can offer them, you know, diabetic socks, shoes, mm-hmm. um, and and other clinical programs that we offer. Yeah, I can. Uh, and then kind of the next thing, as you think about disease states, you kind of think about who you're working with in town. And, and, and another but, kind of show me I think I could see is this whole getting you out of creating, the pharmacy. Getting you out of the pharmacy and right? creating mm-hmm. relationships so, with you know, taking them, coming out with a strategy mm-hmm. of – Hey, we're going to come and these are the places we're going to visit. We're going to go visit public, you know, try to do some video with them uh, really saying, hey, your outreach. If you're not Ooh, you're, if you're a community pharmacy a and you're not in the community. I'm putting Eric Larson on their plate because like he we were there for a really cool success story about um, the COVID vaccines. We were there when he got the call from the state. Because the big box chains were not getting it done. And so the state, the state health called Eric Larson and said, we've got COVID vaccines. Can you get them dished yeah, out Public today? health had a deal yeah. and, and that's who they turned to because they had the relationships. And that's what I think it'd be fun to do a show that's helping people learn how to build those relationships. And, and you yeah. could see even, uh, you know, if you could get some local people engaged, like public health engaged and where you could come in and video that as well. Cause I think it'd be a good sales pitch to tell public health, Hey, we're filming this thing to help pharmacists learn how to work better with their public health department. Right. And I think they'd be in on that. When you look at a patient with, you know, four or five medications and each one of those medications you have, you know, the patient calling in for a refill, you're moving that prescription through data entry, fill verification, uh, will call, notifying the patient, having a point of sale transaction or delivery, you know, that's seven different touch points on one prescription. So with four prescriptions, all of a sudden you're up to 28 touch points. It's, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to decide which one of those 28 touch points is going to be the one where you get clinical and concentrate on a med rack and concentrate on, you know, really moving the needle in other areas. So definitely that med sync so important. Yeah. And I think it gets to that appointment based model too. And then that chance to have that interaction with the patient to see how they're doing, right. To, to get information from them about how are things working? Are you having problems? And by scheduling that every month, then you're definitely going to have that conversation with them. So I agree. Um, I'm glad you touched on the technology part because one of the reasons we are still baby stepping with MedSync is because we have tried and failed with other systems in the past. And it was very frustrating. And then it's hard to convince your team, okay, we're going to do this again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it is working now. um, and, And we're very pleased. It is does take patience though. Um, so for anyone who is just getting started, let's encourage you that don't give up. Um, don't give up. Like the beginning is probably one of the hardest times. So just, you know, set a goal, five patients a week, whatever it is, set a goal and just keep persisting. And there will be patients that fall off that program and that's okay. You're going to have failures. Um, that's okay. Not every patient's a perfect um, candidate for sync, but keep it up. Yeah. So there's definitely a, a point where it tips, where if it, it, it goes from having a difficult change because any cha- any change is a challenge. Um, so there there's a point where that that starts to pay off at a, at a certain percentage. You know, when you get around 30%, I guess it starts to all of a sudden clear the schedule a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. When you do have that appointment-based model, uh, what, what benefits does that give you practically with the patient? Like how are you capitalizing on that appointment-based model and what services are you able to offer in that, in that appointment? So um, one of the things you could do is if they're, um, if they do have a medication therapy management opportunity, then that's a great time to to catch them then. 
um, and and do that. Um, also immunizations, and I will be honest that we're not as good at that as I wish that we were, but that's a great chance to, you know, to speak with them about what they're current on or what they might need to have. Um, so those, those are just a couple of examples of things that, you know, you could add in um, at that appointment-based model. But I also think just having that question, are you doing okay? Is there anything going on that we need to know about? Because, you know, we can make an impact in their care that way too. Um, perhaps they do need a change in medication. So, um, you know, that's the chance for the pharmacist. If the technician who's calling finds out that there's something going on with that patient, then that's a handoff to the pharmacist to, um, to have a, a little bit of a deeper dive as well. Kind of walk me through how, you know, a patient might, um, you know, move through a new patient might move through the workflow and, and how something, you know, that may traditionally, you know, look like, okay, this is going to be, you know, a, a, a patient with a lot more touch points. It's going to be much more clinically uh, demanding patient. You know, how, how do you integrate that in and make it all work? Yeah, so actually that comes from, and I'll tell you right now, I'm the biggest Pioneer fangirl you're ever going to meet. That comes <laughs> from our lovely Pioneer system. And I will tell you, I not to call myself a super user, but <laughs> but I, I use Pioneer to pretty high clip to do a lot of automation yeah. in the pharmacy. Um, so if a patient comes in, like let's say, for example, they're, they're living with HIV, they've just come down from seeing our providers and a prescription arrives. Uh, one of the first things that we do is we start with some intake information. Um, I'm, I'm a huge data miner, so I like to get a lot of information about the patient, their race, their ethnicities, their backgrounds, and things like that. So that way we know how we can help and reach out to patients in a much better and more efficient way. Data really can drive pharmacy in a huge way. So I can't stress enough. I know a lot of pharmacies don't like dive into like demographic and things like that. It's super helpful because it lets you know how to target your marketing and it lets you know maybe who you are and aren't reaching. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so um, anyway, uh, we we have a patient that'll come and present at the counter. We do our intake form. We get their data entry process started. Um, from there, if the medication is categorized, I love me some auto categories. If the patient, <laughs> if the if the the patient is categorized as one of our patients from our providers, and the medication is categorized as a specialty patient, care goals start to trigger automatically. Gotcha. Um, and we're an accredited specialty pharmacy, both through ACHC <clears throat> and DRAC, um, and so we have to maintain level and points of contact with these patients and levels of care with them, including an initial assessment to make sure that they're gonna do well on their medication and maybe they're gonna stay adherent or like identify some tools and things that we could use to help them with, uh, as well as doing monthly follow-ups and making sure that you know when we're filling this medication that we're still on goal for uh, becoming undetectable, which is always the goal for HIV care, right? Um, and when we do all of this, Pioneer triggers these things automatically. So throughout workflow, we will have things that'll pop up and say, okay, this patient needs to get an initial assessment, which will then let the pharmacist know once we get to the point of sale, we've got a full block. At that point, we'll take the patient into the counseling room. The pharmacist will sit down and do an initial assessment. And again, talking about that pharmacist, maybe being able to do that 30-minute counseling with somebody. I've got two more pharmacists ready in the background, right? They're still in the workflow. Yeah. This is a really unique model. Uh, so being able to have that pharmacist be able to privately meet with that patient and assess what their health goal looks like and what do you want big picture and and what can we help you do to meet goals? How can we help you? Are you struggling financially? Is there ways that we can find other things for you to help with the costs of your other medications, right? Um, and those are the types of things that we sit down and do. And, and what will happen then is once we close those care goals out, depending upon the status that we use, it'll trigger again the next time that they fill. And so we get these wonderful triggered cascading reassessments and initial assessments when a new drug is there or a new therapy is started. It is it is absolutely fantastic. Um, so again, fanning out for Pioneer. Pioneer really yeah, so. does make my workflow go very, very well and very efficiently. 
Um, and it keeps it so that way I have a great record for my patients. And when a patient comes in and talks to us, it's not like we don't remember who they are. I can pull all of it back up. And oh my gosh, I remember when you talked to me about this, you were going from first shift to third shift. And so that makes sense that you're not remembering to take your medications. Let's start a care goal. We'll follow up with you weekly. And that pops up in the trigger and the cues automatically based off of settings. And we can just follow up with patients and and help them live their best lives and get their best possible outcomes. Yeah, I think that last uh, that last topic especially is something we haven't really visited often on this podcast, but it's such a, a huge slice of the healthcare spend and and socially such a a scary and and difficult and expensive and you know estate wrecking expense. But that geriatric care and and facility management, like if you can keep somebody adherent, if you can keep somebody, um, you know, on track and managing their disease states, if not defeating them, but at least, you know, staying home and, and aging um, and, and their community, there's such a huge need for that on, on a healthcare spend, on a social spend, on a, on a heartstrings pull that, you know, in all of those areas. Uh, that really, I, I don't see that anyone but independent pharmacy can can fill that. And so, how do you think that independent pharmacies can, you know, really convey that value? Are there are there metrics or um, opportunities there? I think that's the next frontier. I mean, I think you know, there that that's our, that whole realm of the medical at home, and we're trying to figure out how to, you know justify so we can get paid to cover those services you know um the, you know you know that because we're doing the kind of the same services as we do in long-term care however i think the the best places to go out and partner is with home health agencies all right mm -hmm. that are, are trying to do the same thing keep these people at home um even group homes and personal care homes which they're a little bit they're a lot of times based in that person's community they're, you know, they can only take care of people if they can least do the basic things. And if you can help identify. So, for example, one of the things, and, and I know that we don't do this, we don't do this yet at Klingensmiths, but in, in putting on my old geriatric hat is fall risk assessment. You know, there are many medications can lead to falls. There's much data out there. If you're on two or more CNS type of drugs, drugs that, you know, cross the blood-brain barrier, get into a brain, you're at higher risk for fall. Somebody breaks their hip, all right, their life expectancy may be less than five years based on some of the data out there. So just identifying falls to be able to, you know, the other thing is marketing it to caregivers such as family members, you know, that, you know, my, my I had a great grandfather who lived six months shy of 100 and I had my other grandfather, you know, pass away in his early 90s. And both of them lived at home pretty much until the end of their life. And, you know, one, my great-grandfather slipped and fell, all right, and broke his hip. And kind of the trajectory of his last year and a half was, you know, having to go to a home. And my grandfather hurt his back, which eventually, but for a long time, they were able to stay at home because they had caregivers. They had somebody managing their medications and being able to do that. So, you know, you know, you know a son or daughter, if, if mom and dad lives in the same town with them or, or whatever, I would rather be able to go visit them at their house than, you know, having to go to a nursing home, which that's not always the greatest environment to go visit a loved one. And sometimes they're isolated, things like that. So, you know, I, I, I think doing that med rec, um, there's lots of programs. You don't have to go do a geriatric residency to be a geriatric whiz, but there's lots of programs of you know, identifying, you know, there, there's, you know, the, the beers criteria, the stop criteria, they're not perfect, but they guide you. What are bad drugs that elderly people shouldn't be on? You know, what are things that put them at risk for falls? Just getting with here. And I think those things we could do well because we have that access point. You yeah. know, or that. So, you know, I, I speak passionately about it, but I I know we could. And, and I, I know that from experience, from what I've done in my residency, what I've done in geriatrics and and i always tell a story and actually i did a, a ce at our state association on medical at home because i think this is the the next realm and and for the medical at home is what we were talking about earlier you bring somebody on board you do a good med rec you look at their medication regimen you simplify it 
ask the simple questions. Have you fallen in the last couple of weeks? You know, and when you fell, did you break anything in the last year? Do you get dizzy when you sit up? And then just look at their meds. And, you know, there's sure. enough software out there you can identify. But we had, when I worked with the hometowns, we had a pharmacy resident. And this pharmacy resident, this was, was working with this lady that was down the street. And she had some early dementia, but she could take care of herself. And we actually simplified her regimen. And we didn't have fancy adherence packaging then, but we actually had seven-day, you know, filled containers. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we had, we simplified it to morning and evening. And she and her daughter who lived in California kept wanting her to go to California and she didn't want to. She wanted to live in her community. She went to her local church every day. She went to the senior center. And by doing that adherence packaging, she stayed there for about three years. I don't have true scientific evidence. That was it. But but the community and her neighbor looked after her. Yeah. Three years, three years later, she had to go to the, to the, to the, she ended up flying out and living with her daughter. And I can remember this same resident actually worked for us. And she said, you know what? I guess maybe we failed. I said, no, we didn't fail. She got to live three years of good quality of life the way she wanted to live. And I think that's something that, you know, we, you know, all, all community independent pharmacists take pride of their communities. And I think that's something that that's the next big area to do. And, you know, the tools we have to be able to just, you know, just putting it, you know, putting people in adherence patching facility, med syncing, they're all there for us to be able to take advantage of this. We have to be prepared to measure the the long-term effects of what happened mm-hmm. to humans in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that won't be re- realized until Years, yeah. later down the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you think about schools, you know, Mental what happens health. when you, yeah. yeah, what happens when you don't really have day-to-day school for a year yeah no, my um, my kids are going through that now they're, they're at um, they're both remote learning and have been since the school year started and they are um you know they're some days they're they're great and then other days are on the struggle bus you know you just mm-hmm. need some sports helped with some of that for them and and yeah you're right what kind of long-term I really think about that kind of stuff what kind of long-term effect does that have either on relationships or just mental health in general how you deal with stuff socialization. And, yeah. Right. Well, and, and you know, this kind of will wrap it back into like measuring social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all lucky enough to have jobs that we still got to keep through the pandemic, mm-hmm. and our kids have the ability to, you know, stay at home in a safe place with good internet and, and mm-hmm. nutrition, and learn their class, right? right. And new, yeah, and having you know, but there, there's a large nutrition. number of kids that go to school where that's the only place they've been safe that whole mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm that's the only place they get fed that whole day. Um, And they actually, they don't have cable or internet or anything else at home. And so you've got an entire, this huge gap of kids who have the resources and those who don't. Um, And it's just amplified over this last year. And what does that look like? You know, those kids are going to go from fifth grade to sixth grade and next year they're going to be wholly unprepared to stay up with their cohort. So I, I went to a um, provider recently and the check-in was super like, I'm like, oh, this is SDOH screening. Um, you know, and I, and I know that there's a lot of discussion because there's so many touch points with the pharmacy is what role could pharmacists have in this screening, number one, you know, and what standard type of tool should be used. And then, you know, how do you triage that? I mean, it's irresponsible right. to collect the information and then go. And, got and this then just go. I got it now. Right. Oh, right. Oh, they're food insecure. Right. Right. That's you know the last couple of PQA leadership meetings have really focused on social determinants, and everybody really it's like super interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. It's probably the biggest driver of improving healthcare that we haven't touched yet. Mm-hmm. And we still don't have any idea how to do anything with it, at least not for real. Like there's a lot of places where they're piloting things, but okay. So I, I know this child doesn't have food. How do I fix that? <laughs> so from that end, um, you know, just kind of what you're looking at, what do you think is the most important social determinant to measure in community pharmacy right now? 
whether we can or not, just if you had a unicorn, what do we measure? Which one? Mm-hmm. The, the most important one. Only one. Just one. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> you, you Goodness got, gracious. Got totally stumped yeah. me. Um, I mean, no I, this, I'll, this I'll loosen un- up. You can give me top okay. three. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. You, back to you, Josh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell me. I like that. How about you, Josh? I, I don't know. I, I'm, oh, I, okay. Right. I know. I, I would say that um, I don't know what that is. Um, PQA is collecting information, and we have initiatives for 2021 to evaluate um, social determinants of health that could be captured by pharmacists, um, what's being done, um, what makes sense. Hopefully you start with... You know, I don't know, transportation, food, I mean... I was going to say transportation, income level, I mean, all... Right. um, Yeah, I mean, one of the areas I think pharmacy can make the biggest impact on, I don't know if it's the most important one, but it's transportation, (laughs) right? You know, like between being able to deliver a medication to a person or right. be able to, you know, in theory, mail it to their house. You lose a lot of clinical impact at that point. Equal. But, you know, delivery is a great way to kind of overcome that. Um, and it, it takes back to where we measured social determinants in renal care prior mm-hmm. to me being a pioneer. Um, Medicaid will pay for transportation from a person's house to their doctor's office. They don't pay for transportation from their house to their pharmacy. So we address that by delivering medications directly to the dialysis facility so the patient could pick them up in person. But there's a lot of places where you can't do that, right? I knew where they were going to be three days a week for three hours a day. Um, but not every pharmacy delivers and not every patient's within delivery range of a pharmacy. Well, I'll tell you, with the pandemic, I you know, as the pandemic was unfolding in March and April and beyond, I started to interview health plans to see how the the pandemic was affecting potentially their their quality um, ratings you know, for the future, and just listened to how much pharmacists and pharmacies have stepped up from from the ha- health plans perspective. Um, in terms of delivery access, of course, there's testing, um, and you know, ultimately, the, the immunization will be huge. Um, but just and back to the social determinants, you know, MTM pharmacists have been conducting questions around. Obviously, um, the pandemic opens the door to a discussion about how is this impacting you, but um, more of those social risk factor questions and triaging. So um, there's a lot of opportunity and this um, crisis has uh, really shed light on it for sure. Can, can you give me a for instance? Like give me a for instance of like, I, I recorded this information. My, uh, I did my SDOH review. Give me a for instance on, on when you triage something or, or if you had the ultimate resources, right? Like to, to do that. Yeah. So the case, kind of the scenario that I'm talking about is um, a pharmacist who is working for or with a health plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And like so an IDN. There, yeah. So there you have the infrastructure and, and you can successfully triage to a case manager or, right. Okay. So there, there's that infrastructure in place. So what that looks like everywhere else, you know, will likely be a little bit different. Um, right. I think with our firm, it probably is relationships. It's building mm-hmm. those relationships you mm-hmm. have with either your public health departments right. or, um, or whatever, to adjo- or, your food right. banks, right, to, to, to address nutrition or transportation. It's, it's, that's where, you, you know, we had Trip Logan on talking through, he's like, you know, he kind of gave us a list of three, four different mm-hmm. entities in your, in your community. You really need to know and know who mm-hmm. they are. And, and it really helped him, it seems like, one, just from a business perspective, but two, to be able to address, and to your point, triage where needed. Yeah. Right? And that's where you get spoiled when you work in, you know, integrated care. Right. Mm-hmm. When my patient said, I can't get to X or I don't have enough food, we had a dietitian that we could refer to or a nurse case manager. Okay. Um, it's just, that's how do you build that virtual toolkit to mm-hmm. to refer to a team that doesn't 
work for you or with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely luminaries like uh, Trip who have. Yeah. That's what good looks like. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to tell Trip and put that little, <laughs> cut that out and send it to him. Like that's what Trip or that's what good looks like. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they can, they can do uh, they can do some graphics with this later. I, I try to always look at things from a business perspective as well. Uh, I make sure first and foremost, we always take care of the patient. So we do what we need to do. Um, and then on the back end, I feel that's somewhat of my responsibility is how are we going to get paid to do this? Uh, but I don't want to go full steam ahead if there's no mechanism to get compensated for it either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and today it, it, it's interesting that there, you know, there, there are definitely some initiatives, some, some organization is really what it's going to take is that, uh, you know, being able to standardize and, and provide in a uniform way. Here's a, you know, a way to quantify those services. Um, and that's exciting to see with, you know, flipped pharmacy and CPESN kind of moving that needle forward. Right. And we've made a lot of progress in the past year, I would say. And I'm hopeful for exponential growth of that because I think with COVID, it has shown how community pharmacy really plays a vital role in individual communities' health. And, and how do we leverage those resources that we have already in the community? And I, in Ohio, I want to say the managed care plans have recognized that and really want to take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, COVID's been... Um if there is a silver lining, you know, it's been great for independent pharmacies to be able to illustrate their value on a, on a larger scale than ever, probably. Correct. So. And, and, you know, some of the other things that we're doing, you know, my wife's very passionate about what we do with our, our severely mentally ill patient population. Um, just for a fact that some of the things that we take for granted, adherence calls when people don't have a robot – steady housing, places to eat, all those things introduce other challenges. But so what other opportunities can we take advantage to engage that patient to make sure that A, they feel comfortable and we're reaching out to them in a means that we can connect to them to keep them on their medications because a lot of the medications they take cause other disease states. You know, you're dealing with their mental illness, now they have diabetes, they have hypertension, high cholesterol. So they become a very complex patient that needs to be treated as a whole patient. So, you know, I, I'm very proud of what Ann and her staff have done at that location from a standpoint of looking after that patient and being that, that pharmacy that's going to look at that patient, not just from one disease state, but the whole patient. Yeah, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. So when when you're at the original location, and um, you know, it sounds like early on you saw that that need in the community for you know assistance with the mental health uh, community, and then you you start performing those labs and and you start providing more and more emphasis uh, on that. Eventually, that grew into a whole nother pharmacy. But I, I'm really curious of how you're able to make that work and how are you able to grow that uh, while still keeping your eye on all of the other parts of your pharmacy that were you know already a full-time uh, concern a full-time uh, area of focus so you know did you delegate did you did you have a team member that you made a champion of that early on how how did you because you have so many different niches that you perform I'm curious how you really, are able to keep all of those just moving forward so strongly? Well, I, I think part of it is just understanding I can't do it all. Uh, so really I have focused on having a staff of managers at the pharmacy locations. And then I have Dan, who's vice president of pharmacy operations, and he oversees the day-to-day operations of the pharmacy and making sure that we're doing everything we can. You know, he's staffing two to three days a week as well across the three different locations, but it's been vital to build in some infrastructure. And I think that's what I've learned over the years um, when I was trying to staff, you know, 40 hours a week and do everything else. It's just hard to keep your, your eye on the ball 
when there's different balls bouncing at the same time. Yeah. I, I remember when, um, uh, I came to visit your, your location the first time as an installer. Uh, and at that point you were still, you were only in part of the building, but I, I think you were beginning the, the expand, uh, to expand into the other part. And I just remember being, uh, a bit overwhelmed by the, uh, like kind of the different sections that you had. So I remember, you know, a nice uh, uh, retail area where you had everything that you would typically pick up at your neighborhood drugstore. So you had that great kind of community experience. Uh, And then you had uh, a packaging device. Uh, And then downstairs, I spent a lot of time with those Okie Data uh, printers for your pouch packaging. <laughs> that <laughs> was switch. <laughs> Me too. Every now and then, when I when I hear an Okie Data off in the distance, so, <laughs> so I, I feel like we we're, we're going to need an appendix for anybody who's like you know under thirty uh, for diskettes and uh, Okie Data printers. These are just. Uh, Google, they're Googleable. <laughs> we just got rid of our last Okie data in 2017, Will. So, I mean, we were still using them until we installed the new automation and the new closed door pharmacy we opened in 2017. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, they're a bit dated. You know, they, they still make these Okie data printers and they're still exactly the same as they were 30 years ago, but they're solid. You know, they work. And that, that pill packing system was, uh, it, it was pretty versatile. You know, I, I can definitely see some of the advantages of that. Um, so let, let's talk about that in itself for a minute because you had a, a whole rack of these <laughs> printers and you had been doing that probably since, you know, those Okie data printers were pretty state-of-the-art. <laughs> I mean, we started doing, I, I, I even cringe to say it, DocuDose packaging in the mid-90s when we identified that with the mental health patient population, they had a real struggle with medication adherence. So we've had, we were doing that for 20 plus years of using those Oki datas and printing the DocuDose bags. Yeah, which is a really great way to step into the adherence packaging realm. It prints directly from software. Um, but yeah, the printers are definitely a, a bit of a throwback. So what did uh, <laughs> what did you end up moving to? Uh, SynMed. SynMed, yeah. And the reason is we wanted the flexibility, and that was the automation that provided us the most flexibility. It can do 40, I believe, different packaging styles. And right now we use three different packaging styles. We use Dispill for some patients. We use the 30-day cards for some of our group homes. And then we use the multi-dose cards for the majority of our patients. But that one piece of automation by just switching the trays gives us the capability to produce those three different cards. Nice. Nice. That's it's always interesting to hear. Um uh you know, which, which specific device has worked best based on your needs, because obviously, you know, a a different automation solution may be better for somebody else or better for you. So it's always great to kind of hear specifically why that was a, you know, a great tool. And what I wanted to look at too, is the competitive landscape. What was going to differentiate us in the market compared to our other players, all the other competitors in our area are using pouch systems. So I wanted to use a different type of solution that would make us stand out compared to our competitors. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.